This is Annette Abena and welcome to Diaspora Talks. Diaspora Talks is a podcast connecting Africa's fastest growing businesses with the diaspora. Who are Africa's most exciting businesses? Who are the entrepreneurs behind the brands? Where are the opportunities for us to invest? I started this podcast to bridge the gap between the diaspora and Africa by telling the stories of African founders globally. You can hear these stories on Spotify, Apple, SoundCloud, and all other major podcasting platforms. Stay tuned. Hello, this is Annette Avena, and welcome to Diaspora Talks. Now, I know for many of us in the diaspora, moving back home and building something of impact seems like a far-fetched dream. But for my Next guest, um, Benjamin Fernandez, this is a reality and he has done just that. Um, So Benjamin is the founder and CEO of Nala Money, which is a new kind of money transfer company for Africans worldwide. Welcome, Benjamin. It's great to have you. Or should I call you Benji? You prefer that, right? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Either either is fine. Yes, all good. Uh, So much for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. Amazing. It's great to have you. And I know it's been a long time coming as well. Um, so, you know, just a little bit about you, Benji. Um, you were born in Tanzania. And just a few accolades here. You were the first Tanzanian to attend Stanford Graduate School of Business as an African MBA fellow and also the youngest African to ever attend too. But in 2017, to the surprise of many, you decided to move back to Tanzania. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Great. I did. Now, I want I to did. Delve Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing. So I want to delve in more into your experience moving back home um, and into building, mm-hmm. you know, a successful mobile money business in East Africa. But before that, it would be amazing if you could share a little bit more about yourself personally. I know I've, I've, I've just run down a couple of acc- accolades as well, but I know there's a lot more to you. So please do feel free to share. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show, uh, Mambo VP to all the East African uh, listeners. Uh, what's up and good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Um, so cool to be on here. So I'm Benjamin. I'm from Tanzania. I grew up here. I uh, spent most of my childhood here at the age of 17 and a scholarship opportunity to move to the States. Um, and so moved to the States for undergrad. Uh, and I was just like, you know, trying to figure stuff out. Um, I think moving to the States the first time, because I moved to a country where I didn't have any family apart from my sister, like so my sister had moved for university as well. Um, and it was just us two. And so I, there was always this idea of trying to like work hard and figure stuff out. Um, and so did decently well academically during university. Uh, also began a career in television at the same time. So I started working in TV at the age of 17. And every summer I'd make sure I was back home and started doing like sports shows, youth shows, talk shows from regional TV to national TV. Um, and just that really got me exposed to like this whole world of media and, and entertainment in Eastern Africa. Um, and and yeah, so one thing that's important for me is my faith. Um, you know, I've always believed God's blessed me with many different things in my life. And I think um, I like to say I'm a product of grace that's still in the process. There's so much I've got to learn. Um, but there's been many doors that have been open for me that have just been people either believing in me um, and giving me opportunities that I felt like I've never personally honestly deserved. Um, and um, that's been the this whole process of, you know, how my career has pretty much gone and what we've done. So 
uh, that's an important part of my personal life that maybe uh, people may not read as much online, uh, but that, that matters to me individually a lot and, and with what I do. Yeah, I love that. And I love that you shared um, a little bit more about yourself that, like you said, many people, I guess, don't know because you um, are used to being on the other side. So you're used to interviewing people and presenting <laughs> with Nala, right? Um, you do sort of weekly mm -hmm. or at least regularly shows um, with founders. So it's amazing to get you on the other side and hear a bit more about you and we'll hear more hopefully. Um, but mm -hmm. you are a fintech founder. Um, so I introduced you as the founder and CEO mm -hmm. of Nala Money um, and talked about the fact that mm -hmm. it's a money transfer company, which again, we'll go into. Um, but my first question for you, um, which is a question I'm actually going to ask all my founder guests is about myth busting. Mm -hmm. um, and I really want to make sure mm -hmm. that you know, my audience are being educated and 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 finding out things mm -hmm. that they wouldn't have found out about certain industries. So as a fintech mm -hmm. founder, what is one common myth in your industry? So i.e. fintech in Africa or East Africa that you'd like mm -hmm. to dispel? Oh, this is an important one. Uh, I have so many, but I think the one I would pick would be Africa's a small market. Uh, so we hear this all the time. And so you'll hear where it's like, oh, you can't build a billion dollar business in Africa. Oh, there's no unicorns in Africa. And you hear things like that. But then you actually look at the facts on like different businesses that exist in the market and what they've done. Right. For example, just in mobile payments uh, in East Africa alone, over $300 billion is trans a year just within East Africa, Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda uh, on mobile money. And that's massive, right? And so you have telecoms that run these services. They make you know, margins on that. And, and, and there's so much opportunity just within the space. Um, Africa also has the largest growing middle class in the world. Uh, therefore, the earning potential as well as paying potential is increasingly growing. Um, and so many people always say like, oh, Africa's still a tiny market. There's no money to be made there. I hear this from so many different conversations. Um, I think if you've been on Africa long term, you can do extremely well, especially if you're looking to build a business. Um, if you're just looking at relatively, like in relative terms to earning income today, uh, compared to, let's say, somebody earning money in the UK at a regular job, obviously, there's no comparison there. Um, but, you know, if you look at potential of what you can build, it's massive. And I think that's what really excites me is, is building uh, something really cool that can impact the lives of many people. Yeah, amazing. And I guess that is what brought you back home, right? Let's let's talk about that a little bit more. What was your motivation for returning? Like I said, it surprised many because you had yeah. such a great education in the U in the US. Um, I know you also had some experience in Silicon Valley as well. Um, so for many Africans, I can imagine looking at you like, what are you doing? Like, what are you coming back for? Or why are you coming back now? So what were your most <laughs> returning? And I know you're speaking to me from Tanzania right now, isn't it? Where exactly yeah. are you? Yeah. I'm in, I'm in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. Uh, it's nice and warm over here, uh, 15 minutes away from Zanzibar by flight, uh, oh, ocean on the okay. side. So uh, <laughs> definitely very fortunate. I know I know the UK, June 21st is coming. So the lockdown has hopefully uplifted that. No. Uh, we'll see. Uh, <laughs> I've been following closely. So many people are telling us. Um, so, so yeah, moving back home, this is a hard piece. And, and I think there's a couple of things that are created from this. So. Uh, it was my second time being a diaspora. So the first time I went for undergrad, I moved back. I was working in Tanzania after my first degree. And then moved, I got a scholarship opportunity to Stanford. And that's why I went back. Uh, so I went back for grad school. And then during that time, I didn't really know what I was going to do. So during grad school, I started working for Bill and Linda Gates Foundation in Seattle, 
a uh, really nice job, uh, you know, got me really exposed to many different things at a global scale. Um, and I was like, wow, like really uncomfortable spot. And then when I was finishing grad school, a lot of job offers started coming in. So I started seeing large companies, Google, Facebook, you know, these large organizations that I used to read about in papers, starting to reach out to you for job opportunities. And I really started to question, okay, is this what I really want to do? Uh, a lot of these would be like, okay, we'll do this. They'll get you a green card. You can move and live in America for the next five years. Just commit to us, you know? And I sort of really asked myself, um, I didn't really feel like that was my calling, right? Um, you know, and, you know, the whole thing about moving back home, I think the, the questions I think we always ask ourselves is, I'll move back when I'm ready. I'll move back when I have enough experience. I'll move back when I have enough money. I'll move back when I'm like settled. But what yeah. is settled? What is enough money? Um, and what is enough experience, right? And um, knowing that you're going to die is the most humbling factor in the world for me, right? And, and that was something that I had to just realize, like, okay, you're going to die at some point. And do I want to be remembered for the work I did, you know, respectfully, obviously, at a large organization in the United States and just made it wealthier, but I could also be replaced tomorrow by somebody else with similar skills? Or do I want to try to change something on a continent I'm really passionate about and I care a lot about and uh, enable and potentially open doors for other people and other Africans in the ecosystem? Um, and it's easier said than done, you know, and, and the piece I always say is don't do it for the praise, but do it for the purpose of what you really care about. Um, and so I had a conversation with Fred Swanica. Fred Swanica is the founder of Africa Leadership Academy. He went to Stanford Business School a couple of years before I did. And I remember before graduating, I gave him a ring. I was like, hey, I'm an alum looking to considering moving back home. Um, uh, what do you think I should do? And he, I, I had all these reasons in it. I was like, oh, like I don't have enough money. I'm not ready. And I was just saying all this other stuff. And he just starts laughing at, on, at me on the phone call. I'm like, why is this guy laughing at me? He's like, he's like, look at you. How, how much money do you need? He just asked me flat out. I was like, I don't know, like $30,000, maybe 40 max. Um, and he just starts laughing. He's like, you're not serious. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, look at the people you're going to school with, right? You're very privileged in the position you're in because you get to go to such a you know, school where you have access to people um, who can support you financially, right? And he says, why don't you ask your classmates for some money? Ask somebody for 500 bucks here, $1,000 there, $2,000 here, $500 there. You get to 40K. And I look at him, I'm like, yo, look, look, these are my classmates. I'm not trying to make them my investors. It's an awkward dynamic, like, you know, and he just looks at me and he's like, sounds like you don't believe in what you're working on. Oof. Sounds like you don't even believe in your business. <laughs> and I was just like, man, um, yeah. you know, and, you know, I got that, you know, this whole idea of skin in the game. Yeah. He painted that to me so clearly because as Africans for weddings, we contribute for funerals, we contribute, but for businesses, it's crickets. Yeah. Right. And like, that's something I was like, wow. Um, and he's like, look, when I was starting the African Leadership Academy, the first people to support me were my close friends. I had to go and ask people for money. And he says, if I didn't have personal conviction in what I was trying to build, I would have never started the business. And so when he had that conversation, I was like, you know what? You know, I've just got to buy a one-way ticket. Yeah. Now talking to mom about buying a one-way ticket is like <laughs> another whole decision. And telling mom you're coming home is another whole discussion. But having that personal conviction first is, I think, the first step about it. And then, you know, obviously talking to the family about what you're trying to build. Uh, and then I have some other stories about challenges of diaspora moving back home, which we can touch on as well. 
Yeah, definitely. Because towards the end of this conversation, I'm going to ask you for some pieces of advice, some tips for those that are mm-hmm. listening that essentially resonate with with where you were at a few years ago and um, before you moved back home. Um, so that's amazing. But what I've what I'm getting mm-hmm. from what you've just said is is faith. Firstly, personal conviction and leveraging your existing networks. You know, for many people in diaspora that have gone to certain institutions that are working at certain places, you know we have the privilege to leverage on the networks that we have. So we should definitely use them. Um, so that is a great lesson in itself. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to delve in a little bit more into your business, which is Nala. So I, so obviously now we've got to the point where you've moved back to Tanzania um, and um, now you mm-hmm. have decided that you want to, you know, build um, a business mm-hmm. that has impact. Firstly, how did you, no, actually, mm-hmm. let, let's backtrack a bit because I actually um, introduced Nala mm-hmm. as a money transfer company. And for those who are listening potentially in Uganda mm-hmm. and and uh, Tanzania, actually mm-hmm. Nala to them was a payments platform. Um, they were able to use Nala to send money mm-hmm. to their friends, buy airtime, et cetera, without, the, without internet. So let's talk about that, mm-hmm. you know, now how you've made why what is the rationale of making um that change mm-hmm. from a payments platform in 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 kenya sorry not kenya um tanzania yeah. and uganda um to now looking mm-hmm. into international remittances money transfer because you were doing quite well um back home and you were you know had over a million transactions and you were supporting many mm-hmm. people um so let's first talk about the rationale of that mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, cool. So, um, so when we move back home, you know, I'm sitting here, April, you know, June, 2017, I'm like, all right, what, where do I start? Right. Yeah. And I didn't have the perfect idea. I didn't have any of that, but the thing I did, I think we did pretty well was spending time in the field, talking to users. Right. right? right and right. so what we, when I, for three months, I just talked to users. We didn't do any building, nothing else. I interviewed 700 people within three months. And what I found was three different things. One, even though there's a growth in smartphones across the continent, not everybody has access to an active data connection. Number two, Africa is multi-SIM. Apart from Kenya, your average African owns 1.96 SIM cards. They're mm. from multiple accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, and therefore, you know, for the, for the context, your SIM card is like basically your bank account in mobile money markets like Ghana, Tanzania, Kenya, Uganda. And so you would have two SIM cards, you have two quote unquote bank accounts. Yeah. And then because of that, there's mass fragmentation. So over 90% of people can't tell you how much money they spent the previous week because some money was in this account, some money was in cash, some money was in this other account. And therefore financial literacy was a massive issue and massive challenge because people couldn't track spending habits and you know how they were using their money. And so we had a theory, we said, why don't we build one interface layer that sits on top of all existing uh, mobile money wallets and mobile banking wallets, enables you to access all your accounts, make payments uh, and pay friends without internet across the, the continent. That was our, our big thesis. It's like, why don't we enable the platform to do that? And the reason why we thought of that was because if you go to telecoms to ask for API access, it's it's literally a, a joke. They look at you like, <laughs> what's that? Uh, not all telecoms, but most of them are like that. And that becomes difficult because in an ecosystem where you're trying to build technology layers, you need to open, you know, open APIs for you to build on top. And when they don't exist in the market, it becomes really difficult. So our theory was, why don't we just automate USSD, which is the long digits you have to dial in in the background to make a payment uh, and enable one interface to aggregate all accounts. Mm -hmm. And so the users, whatever wallet you use, you can just 
download this one interface that and the way it worked offline was because in the background we would dial in into their dial pad for them so instead of you going to that menu and dialing it yourself on in your dial pad we just build this app based layer and in the background we just do that for you so people had this wow factor when they'd open nala and could see all of their accounts all of their wallets and could make payments in seven seconds a minute uh, when they do it manually and so that so we grew to a quarter million, uh, a quarter of a million of users, two hundred fifty thousand in about a year and two months. Um, and then that was when we got into Y Combinator. After that, so so that took us back to Silicon Valley, and that that grew that business out. Um, and then last year we made this big move to international money transfer because of a few, a few reasons. We see this as an extension of the previous product. Um, so essentially. Um, the previous product is now a application, so it's called Pesa Money Manager now. And then this new product we're building is called uh, just Nala, and essentially enables the diaspora in the UK to send money to Kenya, Uganda, and Tanzania. And there's many rationales and reasoning for that. So today, just for context for those listening, over 80% of the money that's sent to East Africa happens at physical stores. Nice. So these are like your Western unions, your money grams, your corner shop. Um, and only about 15, close to 20% happen digitally, like through the world remits, the send waves to the, you know, transfer wises, remit leads, et cetera. Um, and there's a massive opportunity to like shift that, right? What, what's that, what's, how's that going to change over time? With COVID, the World Bank predicted that there was going to be a massive decrease in remittances, but there's actually a massive increase in remittances yeah. because a lot of people who send, let's say, money on planes or on physical cash had to send it digitally now. Um, you know, because they couldn't really travel and carry the cash back home, and especially with their loved ones they need to take care of. So, like for example, Kenya recorded its highest year ever in history for inbound remittances in 2020, um, and so that was only increasing, right? And so let's say let's take UK and US. So, like the diaspora in the US send about a billion dollars to Kenya. Uh, diaspora in the UK also send about a billion dollars to Kenya a year. Um, so, just for those two markets, just to com compare them there's a massive amount of money space i think money transfer space to africa is only one percent built because right now there's a lot of people building inbound service but what else you know and a couple of theories you can dive into looking is is there a world where annette sitting in you know the uk ghana and and annette pay for her auntie's electricity bill sitting in nairobi um, so like there's a whole world of bill payments, there's a whole world of credit, there's a whole world of other things that could be built on top, um, you know, and while even the payments are usually done one way, what about the other way, right? You know, Africa is trading more and more with, let's say, India, China, the Middle East, you know, who's creating those outbound payments to those those countries? And and question that we ask ourselves is like, okay, given we, we, we know mobile money pretty well, we've built mobile money before. Um, okay, how do we extend, you know, what we've built and like, like use the infrastructure we've built locally to extend this product and make it even cheaper. And so what we're building right now is a product for Kenyans, Ugandans and Tanzanians in the UK to send money instantly uh, in a couple seconds and pays up to your relatives locally, whatever they use in PESA, Tigo, PESA, M markets. Yeah, no, I, I love that. I love thank you for sharing as well um because what it sounds like is that you know you're still set solving the same problem you're focused on the problem 
despite the change in product. And that is, you know, to make it easier to transfer, to transact, um, for Africans to transact. And now you're just expanding that scope globally, which is great. Um, and one thing you touched on earlier was about the fact that you spent so much time speaking to users, which I think is so important and something that um, a lot of, I guess, aspiring entrepreneurs um, should definitely adhere to because it's all about the users. It's all about the problem that you're trying to solve. So that's where the focus should be before you even start building, which is great. Um, and another thing you touched on, Benji, um, you talked about YC, Y Combinator, um, and that is a huge thing. You know, there's not many African startups that have been um, that have joined um, a YC, the YC cohort. I think there's about 40 or 41 to date now, and obviously Nala um, was one of them. So that leads me into my next question, which is about you know being an African founder in the startup space. Um, so. For many of us from the outside looking in, it does look a bit grim. It's very negative when you look at, you know, certain statistics um, and, you know, especially for local founders, people that are born and raised in, in, in African countries, such as yourself, it doesn't look great. Um, so, for instance, um, this statistic from um, Victoria Ventures says only 6% of startups in Kenya that received more than $1 million in 2019 were led by locals. And that's crazy to me, to be honest. Um, that's literally saying um, less than 10% of Ke local Kenyans actually received a significant amount of funding in that year. So that means it went, the majority have gone mm. to um, foreigners. So my question to you then is, um, firstly, what was your experience like um, raising funding and obviously raising from such formidable investors such as YC? How did you do it? And, and secondly, you know, how are we going to get more local founders through the door of investors um, to make sure that, you know, we are seeing them succeeding more um, building on the continent? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, so I think it's a mixture of things. So, you know, one, we are very fortunate to, to get into YC. Um, uh, so like, you know, I can tell you how we got in. I've, what people don't know is I've applied to YC six times. Yeah. We've been interviewed four times, wow. been rejected three times, sorry, been rejected five times total. Cause like we were only interviewed four times. Uh, and so we applied six um, and we got in once. And so many people look at us like, ah, oh, like these guys like to just out of nowhere and like all of a sudden they're in YC. I'm like, yo, I started applying for YC since I was in grad. Uh, <laughs> applied, rejected, applied, rejected, applied. I bet even the people who are looking at my book, it's like this guy never gives up. And um, it was that consistency that we kept applying because they could see the progress over time. They're like, okay, this founder is serious, right? Over a two to three year period, we've seen hit this person evolve, right? We've seen this person at first, like Nala was a lending company, then we were doing merchants and then we were doing like consumer payments. And then, then we were doing like with this whole mobile money play. Yeah. Uh, and so they could see that we were learning, we were growing and we were like evolving the product as we were learning. Um, and I think when we got into YC, I remember one statement, one of the partners came up to me and he said, you know, out of all the companies we've brought into our cohort in Y Combinator history, you've had, you had spent the least amount of money and had the most amount of traction. Mm. And so for me, that was really inspiring, really motivated me because we were super scrappy about everything we did. I mean, our main costs and net were literally just food because we, I stayed at home with my mom. We worked out of, uh, out of my living room. We ate food at home, but when we go out to meetings, it was the only time we would spend and we have internet at home, right? So like we didn't really have much cost of things to do. 
Um, and with the whole internet, like that's the internet's a magical place where you can learn everything, you know, for free, basically. Like, I think the, we live in a world that's drowning in information yet starving for truth. Cause so many of us say like, oh, oh, I like, I know how to code. I don't know how to do this, but yet the internet is offering you all these opportunities for free essentially. And it just takes a lot of extra effort that, that, and discipline to, to get there. And so when we got into YC, um, it was really tough. The program was, was, was a little bit tough, but it really puts you into like a new way of thing. So you get into YC and they immediately ask you like, okay, in that in two and a half months, what's your goal by demo day? Like what's the number one metric you're focusing on? Like whether it's revenue, whether it's transaction volume, and what's your goal by, by, by demo day? And so I remember we were doing a certain figure at, at, at demo, at, when we got into YC, a certain amount of volume. And uh, I went and I said, my goal was just to double it uh, by demo day. And for me, that was being super ambitious. I remember going to tell our partner that, and they looked at me and they're like, nah. And <laughs> said, we want you to 5X this metric. Wow. And I was like, in two and a half months, they're like, yeah. And I was like, no, that's impossible. See, like, you know, I started giving excuses again. And they're like, what's your excuse? We're giving you $150,000, figure the stuff out. <laughs> and I was like, wow, okay. Um, and so during those, and it builds you in the cycle of like thinking weekly, but focusing on the big picture, right? Like what things and activities can you do on a weekly basis that will help increase it where you can take a step back and look at the big picture and see the progress you've made over time. And I think that is a very fascinating skill that it really puts you in this mindset. By the time we hit demo day, we were doing five and a half X. Wow. What we were, were doing when we got into YC. Yeah. But it was because you had these people really pushing you and like, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go. Which is a good and bad thing, of course, because, you know, um, I think it's, it's YC is not for everyone. Um, I don't think it's the goal and ticket, but when it gets you into this form factor of building products that way, it is a really unique space to be in. And that's why they say like why combinated companies on average do a lot better than any other VCs in the world. Like you see Stripe is from YC, you see Airbnb is from YC, you see Dropbox is from YC, Brex is from YC, all these companies, you know, Tom Blomfield who started uh, Monzo, you know, he's a YC alum. Jonas, who co-founded Monzo with him, is a YC alum. Mm -hmm. um, and, well. and yeah, you see all these people. Yeah, Paystack, who just got acquired, a YC alum, Floodwave, YC alum. Uh, a lot of the very successful African fintech companies or African tech companies are YC alum. Uh, but it's because it builds, and, and I think what YC really does with investors is two words. It builds trust, right? That's it. Um, and so when you look at the Kenyan or East African tech ecosystem, a lot of these investors are looking for people who speak similarly to them, who can communicate effectively to them, who can say a pitch in a way that they can understand. Um, and, and that's the challenge, right? And so one thing I'm really excited and very happy with YC is YC's um, demographics of African founders are actually very African. Yeah. I would say about you know 90% of the founders in YC who are from Africa are African uh, from the continent. Nice. Um, and so I think that is something that YC does amazingly well. Uh, but regarding the other piece about why do, you, do I think the demographic is maybe skewed to for a foreign national locally is because of the trust piece. People mm. see people who look like them. You know, there's a self in self-induced bias that's created. Um, also, um, the United States is still the largest region with the most risk capital available and willing to bet on Africa. 
right? Right now you're seeing a growth in China, but it's still the United States who's gonna be leading that. And so when people can feel familiar and comfortable with people who speak like them, who talk like them, who look like them, the likelihood they're gonna bet on them is also really high. So, you know, it's, it's difficult. I think there's a lot of work that still needs to be done. Uh, but I think us as founders, it's like, okay, how are we supporting other founders, right? right? How are we creating a space for other founders to get invested in from other people? And so that's what we also try to do at Nala with our Let's Build community or with our founder chats um, is help people connect with founders directly and tricks that people can share with each other in order to grow. Yeah, yeah, I definitely think that is a good way to go once you as a founder have quote unquote made it or you know um, been taken into certain spaces that you know people that look like you haven't been able to get to I think it's definitely um, you know your job to support others to to get to that space as well um, and that way you know we start to see a change in the faces that we see in these spaces so I think that's incredible and I personally love you know the um, let's build community that that you're you're creating um like I mentioned earlier you do some webinars that are quite regular I've learned so much from them learning from so many founders within your network um so I encourage those that are listening to tune into to, to those webinars and I'll share that that information in the description um but Benji um before we sort of close our conversation um I wanted to go back again then to Nala and what you're building currently um, I loved what you said earlier about uh, thinking of beyond remittances and, you know, um, mm -hmm. start um, starting to think how we can actually start to drive wealth, channel wealth back home um, beyond what we're doing mm -hmm. now, which is great. And it's great to see digital um, ways in which we can do that now. It, it's convenient. It's saving us a lot of money. Um, but what in your what in your opinion is a way that no, actually, the better question is, how is Nala supporting this? How How is Nala thinking beyond remittances and thinking about the future of people in diaspora channeling wealth that is sustainable back home? Mm -hmm. it, you know, this is a question I think about a lot because I used to be a diaspora myself. I've, you know, been a diaspora for almost 10 years, right, before I moved back. And, um, you know, I used to send money back as well. And so I used to really ask myself, okay, what else can we be doing? Um, why is it so expensive? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think the prices will go down over time of sending money back home. Africa is still the most expensive region in the world. And it doesn't need to be that way. You know, we're already so behind many different things. Like, why can't we use infrastructure we've already built to reduce the cost of sending money back home and then optimize, you know, can you make money in other ways, right? Obviously, if you reduce the cost of sending money back home as it's figure out how you're going to be sustainable, um, is if the transfer is free, what are you, how are you guys can get paid as well, right? Mm -hmm. And so I think there needs to be better ways of doing that. Is there a world where, you know, even as you talked about this, so there's many different things we're thinking about and there are going to be a few tests that we're going to be doing over the next year or two. Um, is there a world where diaspora can be investing into treasury bills locally? Mm -hmm. um, you know, where instead of our governments borrowing money from these, you know, international countries, can diaspora use their money and support the economies locally and also earn a return, you know, whether it's 7%, 20%, whatever it is, depending on the market you're sending money to. Can you have local interest-bearing savings accounts, which would earn you probably more interest than the account that you have in, in the, the country you're in, right? Let's say in the UK, um, where it's maybe earning like almost no interest, but maybe in Kenya, it will earn a lot more interest if you're storing it there, let's say in a secure dollar account, so you don't have as much currency risk. Um, 
So there's all these different theories, and that's why I said I, I don't. I think payments is only one percent built with the remittance space. I think there's so much more that needs to be built over time, and you know, it's asking you know ourselves. A lot of the diaspora I talk to want to get more involved back home, and people are always asking us like, okay. Do you know business opportunities? Do you know of this? Do you know of, mm-hmm. I want to invest into property. How can you right. suggest to me who and where? And there's a massive trust dynamic and gap that's missing. You know, you'd be surprised how many diaspora don't even trust their own family members for yeah. stuff like this mm-hmm. because they'll tell us stories like, oh, I sent so-and-so this money. I was told they get me this property. Never saw the money again. They use the money on sports betting or whatever. <laughs> and that, yeah. we hear those stories all the time, right? Yeah. And I think there's every diaspora, no matter where in the world you're listening, there's still always a tie back to home somehow at the end of the day, whether your cousin, your grandma, your relative back home. And um, we want to see, is there a voice that we can connect from the Africans across the world to each other? Um, and that's what I really care about more versus just like, okay, just build a savings product or just build a build direct bill pay product. Um, and, and that's why we're really trying to build this around a community versus just a, a payment service. That's one way. Yeah, understood. That's incredible. Thank you. And I'm looking forward to um, hearing more and seeing more from Nala. Right now, what is happening? I know that you just launched the beta uh, to send money from the UK to Tanzania, Uganda or Kenya. I may have got that wrong. Kenya. Kenya. Okay, Kenya. great. Yeah. So yeah, how, yeah. how can no, if yeah, someone's Kenya, listening, yeah. how can they get involved or how can they start sending money? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so if someone's listening, uh, go to iwantnala.com. So that's iwantnala, N-A-L-A.com. And uh, you can sign up for early access over there. Uh, there's a bit of a wait. So um, so depending on where you are, you know, if you ping me, I can just bump you up as hey. well. Um, but we really need... Uh, East Africans, uh, everybody who's listening right now on a net show, just let mention that you 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 heard it here, and then we'll bump you up. Um, <laughs> but no, we really need what I think is really powerful is when African communities come together, right? We come together amongst many things in our lives, whether it's weddings, whether it's funerals, and things like that. And um, as an African starting this company, um, I really believe that there's something powerful about being able to do that as well, right? We've as a team and as a company, we've been able, we're very privileged to hire some world-class talent on our teams, like our CTO. He actually is French, but grew up in uh, Senegal and you know Western Africa, Niger before moving uh, to Europe. And he actually was one of the, he was a fr- first employee at OSPA, then moved to Monzo, then wow. Comply Advantage, and now he's at Nala. So we've got, we're very privileged to have like some world-class talent on our team um, who built really cool like digital banks in the UK before. Um, and so it's not a team out of nowhere as well. And like being able to see that as an African founder, being able to see like we can bring in some like world-class talent, um, you know, it's about time the world also bets on us as a continent, us as a people. Um, so I would love to see this. If you'd love to support us as well, um, East African, we'll come to West Africa soon, but going to just focus on doing East Africa really well at the beginning um, and, and see how we can grow from there as a company, as an organization. Absolutely amazing. Thank you. And just to end our conversation, um, obviously we spoke at the beginning, we talk, talked about being in the diaspora and you have been in the diaspora and you have made a transition back home. So if you could give us three tips that you've learned, um, learning experiences of, you know, moving back home and making the most out of it, three tips for those listening in the diaspora. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so <laughs> this is funny. Moving back home was interesting. Um, one uh, is I think you also get treated a little bit differently, right? In mm-hmm. good and bad ways, right? On the bad and bad way, it's like, oh, look, Annette, she's got an accent. Mm-hmm. Um, she can't even speak our language properly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so like, I would get told that as well. Like, oh, look at Benjamin. He went to America. His Swahili sucks. <laughs> um, and he thinks he's like better than everybody because he's like diaspora or whatever. And so you do get that, but I know where it stems from. And I'll give you a very specific example. Um, so new platform that's launched, Clubhouse, pretty big. It's going to grow. I think Clubhouse will be bigger than TikTok and Instagram put together because voice travels definitely for screen time. Um, but I listen to some of these conversations and I've been a diaspora myself and I've been, uh, I'm a local, right? And so every time you go into these conversations, a lot of them are diaspora led. Yeah. But what happens is what you often hear is diaspora complaining about the continent or complaining about the place they love because mm-hmm. they care not doing anything about it right right and there's this it's seen as it as if it's reductive the way diaspora sometimes talk about the continent um and 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 sometimes a lot of local people so i have a lot of local founders paying me on the side yeah i don't participate in those groups because always diaspora complaining about the continent but they don't want to come and fix it themselves Mm -hmm. um and it's like oh like you know you, and you hear that but that's actually true because i've been on the diaspora i used to be in the, the states for 10 years and then now i hear it, so i used to be on that side too i used to be complaining like tweeting by myself in san francisco i'm like yeah the policy is stupid and like you know and then people would come back at me but you know i think there's fair rationale for why that happens and and um i see it now especially with clubhouse um uh, it's shown me that even more like people are like okay all these diaspora people and then I saw the other day, there was this comment that said, uh, and this is, this is a very strong comment somebody wrote, and it was a really popular room on Clubhouse. It was like a Nigerian room. It said, are the diaspora, the modern day African colonizers? Ooh. And I was like, wow. And like people are calling it that way and like taking it extremely strong. And I was trying to understand why. And people are saying like, oh, like all these people coming back to Nigeria are telling us what to do or like think they're better than us and whatever. And so I understand the rationale for why a lot of local people might treat a diaspora in a certain way, because maybe they've been spoken to at a certain way. And I get that, you know, given I've been on both sides of the equation. Um, And so you will get some pushback as well when you move back locally, um, especially you've been away for some time and that's okay. Um, But, you know, if you really care about what you're trying to build, it shouldn't affect you mentally. You should just stay focused on letting the main thing be the main thing and asking yourself, why did I move back? And what's the most important thing I'm trying to solve for? Um, for us, it was really tough because even with regulation, uh, we would get treated differently in a bad way. Uh, so like the regulators were like, we oh, yeah, had that American guy. And like, I wasn't even getting called Tanzania, I was called American because mm-hmm. I had an American accent. And that's an American guy who's trying to do these things. And then like, yeah, let's get him. And so <laughs> we got uh, extra scrutiny for a lot of different things. Wow. Um, and that was really tough because it was really frustrating because a lot of local companies never got that same scrutiny who were doing the exact same thing that we were doing uh, in some of the markets. And so I think that is a challenge you will face. Um, you know, my feedback there is just get over it. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. Um, and there's no, you know, if you want to start, if you want to start a company like, and, and, and be happy, don't start a company, <laughs> like things will be tough. It's not going to be easy. Um, but if you want to do it and impact the lives of potentially many people, there's mass potential to do that. But if you don't have thick skin, if you're trying to build it on that continent, don't go back to that continent because it's not going to happen like that overnight. Um, and so, yeah, I want to encourage the diaspora who are listening to this, um, 
you know, if you're really considering moving back home, my tips would be one, speak to people who have moved back home. Uh, two, speak to the people in the industries you care about across the continent, not just in your country, uh, and ask them a few questions. What do you wish you when you started? Mm-hmm. What, do you, what are the patterns you're noticing right now? And if you would start all over again, what would you do differently? And from that 30 minute conversation, you gain five years of insight. Yeah. And then three, focus on the problem. I can't tell you, like, this is what helped us the most. We were just so focused on like, what the problem the customer is facing. We didn't bother about this round announcement, this funding announcement, this whatever, cause you'll see that all the time. And as an entrepreneur, you're gonna get discouraged the more you read like, oh, this company doing exactly what you're doing just got funded $50 million and you got funded zero and you're trying to compete with them. If we kept thinking like that, there would not be an outlet today. Um, and, you know, even right now with our new move to the UK, everyone's like, okay, Benjamin, you know, World Remit exists, you know, Sunwave exists, mm-hmm. do you know, Remitly exists, do you know, Transwise exists? I'm like, yes, do you know, Nala exists? Um, and so it, it's, it's hard, but, you know, what I believe is money doesn't like make the world go around. People do. And we as Africans, we do. Um, and I think there's an opportunity there for us to build a continent we want um, and not just wait for anybody else to come and solve it for us. And so that's my last piece of advice for the diaspora. Um, come back and build. It's not going to be easy. I'd love to help you out as well. Um, and there's so many other people who'd love to help you out. Absolutely. And I think that's an amazing note to end on. Come back and build. And, you know, people like Benji are here, are there. I should say. Um, so that's amazing. Thank you so much. Um, just a last note then, how can people um, get in touch? I know you said you've mentioned Nala and you've given the details, which I will share. Um, but if someone wanted to for ask any follow-up questions about Nala or about your journey, um, please let us know how they can get in contact with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, for me, it's just uh, anything, Twitter at Benji underscore Fernandez or my email is Benjamin at Nala.money. So B-E-N-J-A-M-I-N at Nala, N-A-L-A dot money, M-O-N-E-Y no.com after that we get that after that. <laughs> no money. fantastic i will definitely put all the links and spellings and stuff in the description so if you missed that um please go over and look there but thank you so much benji so much insight um and it's so great to hear more of your story so definitely watch out for nala if you're in the uk and beyond and sign up if you can do so thank you so much we love feedback Uh, give us the plant feedback tell us what we can make better together awesome thank you so much for having me on the show cheers everybody